0: We believe that he Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen, so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. You may be seated. Hey Amen. Would you look at somebody on your way down and just say, our God, our God reigns. Come on, y'all talking like he's been dethroned. Somebody say, our God reigns. Amen. It is good to be gathered with the people of God, serving a king that reigns. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is certainly good to be gathered with the people of God. Uh, And those of you who are virtual as well, uh, good to have you in here as well, at least virtually here. Uh, It's hot today. It's definitely hot. I I saw Mark with your leather pants on. It's too hot today for all those pants, you know. I got some ventilation up here. It's, uh, it's good to be in the house of God uh, with all of you. Listen, I don't know if Gabe explained this or not, but our, um, we've been doing a lot of work downstairs and our construction company uh, accidentally uh, clipped a wire that was, um, that was the <laughs> Anyway, the wire that they clipped, you feel in this room. And so our, our AC is just not able to be on. If, the, if anybody else is coming in and needs seats, there is seats up here. I know our worship team hang out first service, but there are seats up here. Um, but yeah, they, they clipped it. But, you know, deep inside, I think we just wanted to give you all a glimpse of hell. So y'all know not to play games with it. Just want y'all not to play games. Listen, I have no clue how you came in today. Um, I realize that a lot of people are coming in. And those of you who are virtual with us, you, you come in. Uh, sometimes heavy and I don't know what kind of week you had I don't know if you were triggered this week and anxiety has uh, been stirred up in you somebody I know came in especially in the first service but I know in this room as well somebody came in and is ready to give up and honestly you you got here and pressed your way through road closures and train delays and traffic uh, for me to tell you hold on just a little bit longer amen because the Lord does come through you know with Psalm 16 that says weep and may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning. And I I just believe that morning is coming for somebody. And that's, you know, honestly, I think today, one of the ways that I can encourage you and really push you and help you to see that the Lord is on your side is through the word of God. So do me a favor, everybody grab your Bibles, devices, whatever it is that has the word of God for you. And do me a favor, go to Luke chapter 17. So we're in the New Testament today, the book of Luke. If you are not familiar with scriptures, go to the New Testament and it's Matthew, Mark, and then the third book of the New Testament, you'll find Luke. Uh, praying for those who were a part of the marathon. I don't even know if the marathon is over or not, but I know we had several people. It's still going on. I know there are several people that, um, that are a part of our church that are actually in the marathon today. So we're, we're certainly praying for them. Your boy is not one of them. Just, that, uh, that's not my ministry at all. Um, But uh, we're praying for everybody that is in the marathon and shout out to you guys for I mean, look around the room. Y'all press your way um, through a lot of delays. So shout out to you guys for being with us today. Speaking of shout outs, I don't see them, but I know uh, Ashton and Angela are here with little Ashton. They in the back. I said little Ashton, but I saw him a few minutes ago. That's a grown man. Like he looked like he got two kids in the job. But um, it's good to have them here. Hey, listen, there's a few dates I, I really want to make sure that you are aware of. If you take notes, uh, if not, they're all on our website. But there are some dates that I really want you to pay attention to because these dates really will affect you. So the first date is December 9th. I, I've been telling you all about this date. I hope you all are excited. I mean, the fact that the room, uh, we have no more seats in the room, says it's time to move downstairs. And uh, downstairs, we get to get double the space. So on December 9th will be our first service. It's a Friday night. We're going to do a building dedication. And um, it's just going to be great, a great time of worship, great time of worship. We'll have some guests with us. And we'll just celebrate, you know, realizing that the Lord has given us this building and we just want to dedicate it back to him. I don't know if you're paying attention, but I think it's this week, maybe next week, actually makes one year since we've been meeting in this building. Yeah, one year since we've been meeting in this building. And uh, we started meeting up here and we told you this is temporary space until we're able to get our downstairs completed. And so we've been actively working. As you see, there's just spots that you really don't want to peek behind the curtains yet. We're still we're still working. We're still working. Um, But December 9th will be the first date. These two next two dates will impact us. Let me tell you how. So leading up to December 9th, uh, November 27th and December 4th. November 27th, which is the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and then December 4th, uh, we will be impacted because we will only have one service those two days. That one service will be at 1130. So we won't have a 930. We will have one service. And those of you who are online, it really affects you because we will do no live stream uh, those days. The reason we're doing that is because we have to start the transition downstairs. It's not like picking up some chairs and moving them downstairs. We literally have to unwire these lights, run cables. We have to take all of this equipment. Uh, that orgus that Matthias is so skilled in playing today has to, has to be moved with special tools. Um, and, and so between the lights, the camera, the tech stuff, um, there's just a lot that has to go into moving downstairs. So we actually need two whole weeks to do that. Uh, but don't let that hinder you from coming in. We still will have a intimate service. We still gonna be in the word of God. We still gonna worship. We're just going to do it at one time. And those of you who are online, you know, if you have, if you live in the vicinity and you've replaced coming to church with virtual. But I just want to be clear, our virtual world was never, you know, our live stream was never to replace service. Hebrews chapter 12 says, do not neglect to meet together. This is the habit of some. So it's something important about, it's something that in-person does that live stream can't do. And I'm grateful for live stream. I really am. You get to hear the gospel today preached and you get to get worshiped. Hyped right into your home or wherever it is that you are, um, but don't let that replace service. So those two weeks is a good opportunity for you to transition back into the back into the church because there are, are several people, no shade. there are several people that just haven't come to church because of uh, they, they have you know the virtual world, but that is supplemental. That is not primary. So December 20, not December, I did that in the first service. November 27th and December 4th, We'll have one service. That one service will be at um, at 1130. No virtual. Um, the next date I want to mention is the following date, which is the December 11th. So two days from December 9th, we will be back to two services. We will be downstairs. We'll officially be having service downstairs. Kids ministry will be up here. So we um, we, we yeah, some things are moving, man. Things are moving. Uh, December 18th. You won't be affected, but just know that's when we're going to do our Vision Sunday. Uh, how many has been a part of the church since we've done Vision Sundays before? I just want to see a show of hands. Okay, a few. So Vision Sunday is the Sunday where we usually do it in January, and I just communicate to, to the church what, um, what I feel like we've done well in the previous year and some areas of opportunity. I am not arrogant to think that we killed it all year. There are definitely some areas that we could have done better, and so I'll, I'll, I'll submit those to you on December 18th. And then there's some, I have some strategy and some, some, honestly, some vision that I think God has given us that I wanna lay out before you on that day. Uh, two more dates to pay attention to is Christmas Eve and New Year's. I don't know if y'all know, but Christmas falls on Sunday this year and New Year's falls on Sunday as well. So Christmas Day, we will not be having service. We, will, we want you guys, I wanna encourage you to spend time with your families. I know many of you are traveling and people are traveling here to hang out with you. Uh, We're still trying to figure out if we're going to do something virtual. We're not sure, but we won't have in-person service. And then the last day is New Year's. Um, uh, December 31st, we're going to do drum roll. Give me the drum roll. Old school watch night service. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Bring your praise with you. We're going to do an old school watch night service. We will. It'll be, it'll be a bit of a testimonial service as well. Uh, we want to hear from y'all. So we're going, to, we're going to set up the mic and let y'all go. Um, and we're going to worship the Lord together. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit old school. I was kind of born and raised in church. Definitely came from a Pentecostal tradition. And so I have, I have, differed, I have differed with our staff on this. The staff is, is I don't know what y'all doing over there. The, the staff has encouraged us to start watch night service earlier. I'm old school. We started no earlier than 1030. And, and, and I, I think the churches I was a part of, I think our pastor didn't want us to go to the club. So he said, come to 1030 and we're going to stay in all night. We stayed at two o'clock. Um, but I'm not sure what time we're going to do watch night service, but we will do it December 31st. And then that Sunday, which is the first, there will be no service. So think of it this way there is no service that Sunday. It's replaced with Saturday watch night service. All of this information is online, so you can find it there in our events page. All right, let's get to the word of the Lord. Um, full transparency. Today's topic and sermon honestly was birthed out of, there, there are times when I'm preaching and if we're going through a book of the Bible, I'll typically um, find the text to be the driving point or or if we're doing a topical, like we are family. I know kind of where we're going. On Monday, I wasn't sure of what the Lord wanted to say to the church. And I was doing personal devotion, which by the way, I, I tend to separate my own personal devotion from study time to preach. And I was I was doing devotion and I got stuck in the first four verses of Luke 17. So if you'll allow me, I just want to preach today from honestly what the Lord was speaking in my personal time. And I think I, I honestly I think I think it hit the room. Pick me up in verse one. Verse one says, and he meaning Jesus said to the disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. Let me just repeat that again. Underline that that phrase. It's important. Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and that he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. I want to preach today from the topic entitled Stumbling Blocks. Let's, um, let's look to the Lord. Uh, Father, we, we certainly gathered in this room, hot room, to be challenged and encouraged by your word. We, we, we do realize that we actually need both at least my spiritual development, it never happens with just one. I don't always need encouragement and I don't always need to be challenged, but Lord, I do need a hodgepodge of both. And so Father, today I pray, oh God, that you would challenge us, but encourage us as well. Let me say it this way, Lord, break us down and build us up. Deconstruct and reconstruct. Because the last thing we need to go through life thinking that we're killing it, there are times where you do need to you need to get at us. And I think you're going to do that in the passage today. And so, Lord, what you were speaking to me on Monday, what I pray that that would translate well in this room. In Jesus name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, one of the things I think that really, really, I don't know, just kind of hindered me on Monday. And I, the reason I got stuck is because when I was sitting and I was contemplating really just sin in general, that's what this passage is about. When I was contemplating sin overall, I realized that it's been my experience that most of us tend to think about sin uh, in a singular matter. So in other words, you know, if you fall into sin, it has individualistic consequences for you. And that, that is true on some level. That's true. But today I want to get us probably 100 feet higher because I want you to realize that your sin doesn't just affect you. But your sin, we never sin in a vacuum. Our our sin has a ripple effect. And many of us in this room have been affected by somebody else's sin. I'll say it this way. Somebody else has been affected by your sin. In fact, let's look at the original sin, the first sin, the the, the sin that that affected everybody, which is Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve's first sin, you know, when when Eve was dialoguing and having dialogue with with the serpent, just realize she pulled somebody else into that sin as well. She was with Adam. And then even when they did fall, what did Adam do? The first thing he did was there was tension between the relationship because he said to the Lord, the woman that you gave me. And then think about it this way. Adam and Eve's uh, sin was so bad and they put it on us so bad that all of us in this room, everybody in this room and online has been affected because of the original sin of Adam and Eve. And it it doesn't matter if you are a believer or not. If you're not a believer, you're a sinner because of Adam. If you are a believer, you are a sinner that is saved by grace because of Adam. So Adam and Eve's sin certainly has affected everybody in this room. If you're trying to figure out why you can't stop sin, you better rewind that thing all the way back and back that thing up to Adam and Eve, because it is their sin that caused us to be what is known as sinners. In fact, let me put Bible here. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all because all have sinned. It's almost like um, like Beauty and the Beast. Anybody seen that movie? I think it came out in 1991 or it came out early, early 90s, but uh, in that movie, You have this old lady that comes up to a palace. Y'all remember the movie? And when she comes up to the palace, she wanted shelter for the night to to get away from the cold and the dark and the danger. And the prince that was inside the palace, he didn't let her in. And so because he denied her access from coming in, he didn't know. Quick plot twist. He didn't know that she was a witch. She was an enchantress. So what does she do? She casts a spell onto him, which makes sense because he denied her. She was testing his morality. He failed. What doesn't make sense is why everybody in the household got affected by his decision. Everybody pot, teapots and kettles and candle holders. And and the reason that they were affected wasn't because of their decision. They were affected because of the head of the house's decision. And many of us in this room have been, not many, all of us in this room have been impacted. And it wasn't your decision, but it was Adam and Eve that messed us up. Now, that was the original sin. Let's go to the next sin, which is their children, Cain and Abel. The very next sin is in Genesis chapter four. And the Bible says that Cain kills Abel. And when God tries to come to him and say the blood, I hear the blood of your brother crying out. And what does what does Cain say back to God? He says, am I my brother's keeper? In other words, I dissolve myself of any responsibility. It is almost as though he wanted his sin not to be effective of anybody else, but his sin impacted somebody else. Because we never sin in a vacuum. It would be like if I, God forbid, if I fell into sin right now, you know, I would impact the relationship with my wife. I would, I would disappoint my children. Everybody in this room would be disappointed because if I sin, my sin is ju- not just my sin. And what I want us to do is stop thinking about sin in terms of individualistic and I want you to think about how your sin makes impact for somebody else. If you're a parent, your sin has the ability to cause a ripple effect down to your grandchildren and your grandchildren's grandchildren. Because we never sin in a vacuum. We always sin and it affects somebody else. This is why in the beginning when God gave us right and wrong It was clear that Adam and Eve chose wrong. He does does the same thing with Israel. He pulls Israel out of Egypt and he gives them 10 commandments, right and wrong. New Testament, he does the same exact thing. He shows them, hey, no idolatry, no adultery. He gives them right and wrong. And so sin definitely makes an impact. I want to give you this definition. Because sometimes, LaJoyce, I realize that when I preach, I have the assumption that everybody understands like church lingo. And so even talking about sin, somebody's Googling right now going, what is sin? And I respect that. And so I want to give us a definition. Now, what I don't want to do when giving you a definition of what sin is, is give you a list. I I don't have time for, you know, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Because if I give you a list, it'll lead to two things. You'll even look at the list and be like, Pastor B just said don't do these things and I'm not doing them. And so I'm killing it. So it breeds pride. Or man, Pastor B, I'm struggling with every single one of those on the list. And so therefore it will breed despair. So I don't want to give you a list. Let me just summarize sin is this. It is described in the Bible as transgression against God's law and the rebellion against God. At the end of the day, do you realize that your sin is nothing more than just rebellion against God? So you can have the list if you want to. But let us sit in the fact that it, we just rebel when we sin. We, we know right? We know right and wrong. Adam and Eve knew right and wrong. Israel knew right and wrong. The New Testament believers knew right and wrong, but they still found themselves falling into sin. There are three things that Jesus is going to do in this passage. Just pay attention to this. He's going to warn us about sin. Second thing he's going to do is he's going to warn us about causing others to sin. And then third and final thing he's going to do is he's going to show us how to deal with each other when we do fall. First, let's look at the warning against sin. Look at verse one. Y'all with me? Yeah. Verse one, he says, and he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. Notice that temptations is plural, not just singular, but one went to, the, to him, the one whom they come. Let me lift back up that first part. Temptations to sin are sure to come. Notice it doesn't say that the temptation to sin is a possibility. It, it doesn't say it might come. You know, it, it, it might. It, it literally says it's sure to come. In fact, the New Living Translation says there will always be temptations to sin. That's the same verse that reads in the New Living Translation. What we can deduce from the words of Jesus is that sin is always in the vicinity. Sin is always in the presence. In other words, sin is inevitable. Somebody say it's inevitable. Because Jesus just said to us in red, these words are in red, that temptations to sin are sure to come. And the thing that I hate most about sin is that it comes from different angles. Like if sin came from one angle, I probably could overcome. But the moment you come, the devil knows how to repackage that thing and present it back to you as though it's something new. It just comes from different angles. There are probably three prominent ways that sin comes at you. And the reason why you're not overcoming the sin is because you don't realize that it's coming from different angles. So there are three prominent ways that this comes at us. This is going to pop up on the screen. The first way that sin comes at you is through the world. What do I mean by that? The world's agenda is to get you to adopt its values. The world's agenda is to present to you shiny objects that you will be so enamored with that you will fall out of love with Jesus and fall in love with more temporary worldly stuff. That that's the world's responsibility is to press you and to mold you and to make you into something that you are not. And here's why Paul has to warn us in Romans chapter 12 when he says, uh, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be renewed by the, the trans, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because the world has a way of presenting something to you that's really not that great and temporarily may satisfy you, but long term it's not sustainable. Y'all know that, right? I know sin is enjoyable. Like, I'm just not that passing, but like, yo, I lived a miserable life of sin. The devil's a lie. It was fun. I, I need somebody that's gonna be honest and real. Like, it ain't always miserable, but I'll tell you this it may be fun for two minutes. Oh, y'all ain't get that. But it but, but it has eternal impact. And so, yeah, it might be fun and yeah, you might enjoy it, but sin is never sustainable. And so the first way that sin comes at you is it pre- it's presented through the world. You know the second way? Is through your flesh. It's an old bishop named Bishop Kenneth Moles that used to say: the only thing you're gonna do with your flesh is make it behave. That's it. Your flesh, in your flesh, dwells nothing good. And sometimes, you know, I don't I don't think we realize how weak our flesh is. I, I don't I don't think we get it. You know, and, and when Adam and Eve fell, when, 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 I, when I told you that immediately sin entered into the world, what you have is when I talk about your flesh is it, you have the nature to sin. That's wh- when the Bible talks about your flesh. It's saying you have the propensity to sin, the nature. It's your bent. It's how you are wired. And don't you dare think because you gave your life to the Lord. You no longer have that nature. Let me say that again. Don't you dare think because you gave your life to the Lord, you no longer have the nature of sin. If you gave your life to the Lord, you have two natures. You have the nature of Christ and you have the nature of sin. And let me tell you something about those two natures. Baby, they warn every day. And so every day is kind of like them cartoons. You know, back in the day, you have the angel. Maybe telling you do good, do good, do good. And you have the devil with the pitchfork. Maybe telling you sin, sin, sin or do bad, do bad, do bad. Every day you're fighting and you're wrestling. And normally we submit to whichever one we feel like doing that day. Wow, wow, wow. OK, y'all, y'all going to leave me out there. This is why, you know, when I'm talking about your flesh and the weakness of our flesh, this is why we have to be careful with what atmosphere, atmospheres we go in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some of us just mosey. We just take our flesh anywhere. Because we think we, we typically, Caleb, take our, our, our flesh anywhere because we think that we're strong enough. But this is why the Bible says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is. Because the moment you think you won't is when you will. And don't you dare think, oh, I, you know, I don't walk with the Lord a little bit longer. And now that I walk with the Lord, I can overcome your flesh is still unsaved. And your nature will always pull you. This is why you got to be careful of the atmospheres. You got to be careful of the conversations you engage in. You got to be careful with the jokes that you laugh at these back in the days today, the kikis and the ha-has. We got to be careful with all of that. You got to be careful at what situations you put yourself in. Because some of us think we are so strong. But listen to me, that flesh is so weak. It's So weak. You know, when I look at scripture and I look at like, how did how did the, the men of God, the women of God in scripture, how did they deal with their flesh? We can look at people like Paul. Wrote 75% of new. In fact, do me a favor, go to Romans chapter 7 real quick. Come on, y'all, real quick. Romans chapter 7. Let's look at Paul. Because Paul, I would argue, got a tighter relationship with the Lord than you. Can, can we at least agree on Unless the Lord knocked you off a horse and said, you know, why are you persecute me, persecute me, now you're going, you know, you going to do my ministry. Unless Jesus came to you in visible form, you ain't got the walk that Paul got. So Paul planting churches. Paul's making disciples. Paul's giving clarity on the gospel. Paul is giving leadership development. But do you know what Paul says in Romans chapter seven about his own flesh? Here's what he says. Verse 18. Please tell me if you can identify with this. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Let me say that one more time. I got the desire to do what is good, but not the ability to carry it out for. I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. Now, if I would now, 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 if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me, AKA the flesh. Like if this don't hit you, I don't know what else with. Paul is literally saying, man, I desire To do good, I desire to do good, I desire To do good, but my flesh makes me want To do wrong, and I just need Somebody that's honest in here, that Every now and then you get in them situations That you walk into it going, it's no Way I will do that, but then the flesh Starts to talk to you, be like, maybe It's a possibility You know, we we Walk into those situations, we be like, I'm just Going, we just going to kiss we just got to kiss. That's it. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna do much. I, I mean, I just gotta pass to the rule. Y'all gonna let me do it how I do it. We just gonna t- we're not gonna do no tongue. Oh, come. Can we just tie my, this Is it too much tie? I'm good. We're not gonna do no tongue, right? We just gonna just a little peck, a little. And the next thing you you know you went all the way. Do you know why you went all the way? Not because you you desired it. You didn't desire it but because that flesh has some strength I'm telling you the flesh is not weak and this is why I said the moment you think you won't you will y'all should have took that note down because most of y'all walk into the walk into that situation and y'all are so blind and going I'm gonna just rebuke the enemy no but it's your flesh and, and, and there's nothing you could do with that the flesh will never be saved the, the flesh will never submit to God's law the, the flesh will never want the things of God your spirit will But the flesh won't. So the flesh is weak. Somebody say the flesh is weak. The first way that sin comes at us is through the world, the shiny objects. The second way that sin comes at us is through our own flesh. Do you know there's at least one more way that sin comes at us? And that's through the enemy of your soul, the devil. But what the devil does is he's so stupid because he doesn't even have new tricks. All he does is he takes the world's uh, uh, shiny objects and he takes your flesh and he uses both of them for his devious purpose. That's all he do. He's not doing nothing new. He's just making that flesh be even hotter. He's making the world look even better. And he's bringing before you stuff that you say that you would never do. And so. The third way the enemy comes at us is through the devil. The devil knows how to make anything look good. I'm telling you, the one that you be like, I'll, y'all, I'll never fool up with him. I'm talking about the one that's living at home with his mama, breath sting, got no teeth, no job. I'm telling you, the devil knows how to tweak your flesh just enough that you be like, he I. He's crafty. Listen, if you want to look at the craftiness of the enemy, look back to the original sin. Look at how he disease. Do you realize that God literally said to Adam and Eve, there's no tree in this garden that you can't eat of except this one. So that means it wasn't just like they had one other tree that they could choose from. They had a plethora of options. But sin makes you so stupid that you'll look at the one tree and, and look at the rest of them and be like, you know, these look good. But I want that one because I was told I can't have that one. And the enemy knows how to get in there. So the first way that sin creeps in is through the world. The second way that sin creeps in is through your flesh. And then the final way that sin creeps in is through the devil. But let me also say, you know, it's not just that sin just happens by osmosis. Sometimes we are the causes of somebody else sinning. Okay, let me get back in this book. Look with me back in Luke 17. He says here, uh, he said to his disciples, verse one, temptations are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It is better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and that he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Do you realize that that Jesus is literally saying, don't be a stumbling block? Don't be the one that causes somebody else to sin. And if you are that one that causes somebody to sin, he says, woe unto you. Do you know that that is a sign of judgment? Anytime you see woe in the scriptures, it's never it's never good. It's never good. This is a declaration of judgment. Woe unto him or her that causes intentionally or unintentionally causes his brother or his sister to sin. There are people in the room that are so influenced by other people in your life. God, I hear you, Lord. There are some people that you're not influenced, but you are the influencer. And there are some people that look up to you. And I'm talking about people at work. People in your family, people in the street, people at the coffee shop, people in church, because that's the thing. I know what you're doing. When I say be careful of others causing you to sin, you all thought of that one ghetto friend. Y'all know we all got it. I got at least one or two friends that I would never hang out with because I I know where they'll lead me. Am I the only one that got friends like that? Anybody got that one or two friends that you know, I'm not talking about them today. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the people that you would think wouldn't pull you into sin. He says, be careful of them. I'm talking about the people you're in discipleship with and the people you're in, in small group with. And I know, I know it's fun and, you know, we have fun and we all cram it out. Like, I get it. But if you're not careful, you will follow somebody because you're influenced by, by them. You will follow them into sin. And if you're not careful, you'll be the one that leads others to sin. Because here's what I know about our influence. And that's being an example. We're all examples. Here's the question. Are you a good example or a bad example? The question is not a, if you're an example. Somebody's looking up to you. Somebody's following you. But are you a good example or a bad example? And here's what I heard, heard the Lord say on Monday. It's, it, it's not those friends that you know that will lead you into sin. It's the friends that you don't think would, that you've got to be careful of. OK, I got to put Bible here because a lot of you sitting here going, there's no way my friend loves the Lord. How can a, how can a believer How could a believer be a stumbling block? Look at Peter. The Bible says that Peter, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus was talking to the guys. and He's like, look, I'm about to go to Jerusalem. And when I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the scribes and the Pharisees. And the Bible says that Peter literally says to Jesus, come here for a second. And he pulls Jesus aside. And the Bible says that he rebukes Jesus. Peter rebukes the creator and sustainer of life. And Jesus, he's so smooth. He just turns that thing right back on him. And what does he do? He rebukes him in the very next verse. He says, get behind me, Satan. But it's what he says next that messes me up. You are a stumbling block. He said, you're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in, in your mind the things of God. You have in your mind the things of men. So Peter at that moment became a stumbling block for Jesus. If Peter can be a stumbling block, don't you tell me you won't be a stumbling block. And this is why I think we have to be careful of the things that we lead people to do And like everything Yeah, it might be permissible It might not be a bad thing But even things that are permissible That might not be a bad thing Can be detrimental to somebody else That's spiritually immature do y- Are y'all hearing me? That's so why we gotta be careful When you go out with your friends Listen, I'm not telling you Not to have you a little drinky drink But I am saying You need to check the table Because you never know Who else is at the table And who struggle with being with alcoholism that one friend that struggles with alcoholism, it is not a good idea to take them to happy hour to do discipleship. Yeah. Brothers, I think we got to be careful, too. You know, sometimes we let our freedom, you know, um, we going to throw a banging bachelor party. You know, we're going to go to the strip club. You know, I, I just want to see God's handiwork. You know, the Bible says, well, Psalm 139, nah, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I just want to see what he made. Nah, nah, bro we're not careful, we will engage with people and cause them to fall. The atmospheres that we pull people into, the conversations that we pull people into, the DMs that we pull people into, the, 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 um, the, the, the things that we cause people to watch. Like you'll never know. A meme could throw somebody off. But yet we're so casual and we just throw it around like it's not a big deal. But I think what God is calling us all to do is just be mindful. Somebody say be mindful. Peter was a stumbling block. Now here's the thing about stumbling blocks. It's not just a bad idea to be a stumbling block. The scripture literally tells us the fate of a stumbling block. Here's what it says. Jesus says, he says, transitions, uh, uh, temptations to sin will come, but woe to you who is the one whom they come. Here's the fate. It would be better for a millstone to be hung around his neck and he be cast into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to fall. Jesus literally just said, it is a better fate to be at the bottom of the ocean with a rock around your neck than it is to intentionally cause your brother and sister to fall. And this is why I say, I think we play, you know, we, we play with this stuff. This isn't like a cute verse. This ain't on a coffee cup. This ain't on a T-shirt. But this is in the Bible because the Holy Spirit has inspired Luke, the physician, to write about the fate of an intentional stumbling block. And I'll tell you this, Luke is actually very PG-13. Read Matthew's account of what he says about a stumbling block. I'll read it for you. Here's what Matthew says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 40. He says, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with a fire, so it shall be at the end of the ages. The son of man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of the kingdom all of the stumbling blocks. And those who commit lawlessness and cast them into the furnace, and in that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is why you got to be careful that you are not the stumbling block because it's very clear in Matthew and in Luke that the fate of the stumbling block doesn't end well, it ends with the gnashing of teeth. Because if you can intentionally cause people to sin, something's very wicked about that. And so I think we have to be careful. I think we have to be careful with the friends that are around us. And I know it's fun. And I know you all just want to have fun, but we got to be careful. Now, let, 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 watch what he does here. He didn't just say, be careful that you're not, be, uh, not, to, not a stumbling block. But he also says, you have a responsibility if those around you do fall to help them. But how do we help them? Here it is, verse three. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, here's how you help him. Rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and then comes to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Closely linked to the responsibility of not causing others to sin is the responsibility to help them when they do sin. Wow. Let me say that again, just because you're taking that note. Closely linked with the responsibility not to call somebody else to sin is the responsibility to help them when they do sin. Once again, Jesus is showing us that sin is, is inevitable, but it's not just inevitable in your life, but do you know that your believing friends that are around you have the clear propensity to sin, and it's your responsibility to actually help them. Well, Pastor B, how do I help them? Jesus says, rebuke. One of the ways in which God is going to use you is to make sure that when your brother or sister falls, You rebuke them, because honestly, I think we live in a society and in a time where we overlook sin as long as we still got relationship. I don't want to hurt your feelings. And what we what we subscribe to is what's called culpable silence. You're just you're just as guilty. You mean to tell me you see your brother and sister and we do this, Caleb, we do this because we don't want to offend them. But I would rather offend you to heaven than love you to hell. And many of us have been guilty I'm not saying anything because we don't want them to think we a Bible thumper and we are holier than thou. No, I'm only rebuking you because later on you got to rebuke me. And I don't know about y'all, but I need friends in my life that tell me I'm wrong when I'm wrong. I just I don't have time for the friends that's going to pat me in sin. Tell me it's all right, man. You know, you, just, you had a hard season. No, I don't need that because I would rather you offend me than stand before the lord and the lord be like oh oh you was you was messing around my opinion about rebuke is that rebuke has to be done but i'll say this two things number 1 it's better done in relationship like if we got a relationship i receive you differently than if some random person come on and be like i seen you on instagram like If if that is the level of rebuke, it's not always received well, but this is why community is so important, because I can receive your rebuke differently if you don't rock with me for a little bit. But not only that, rebuke also has to be done gently. Somebody say gently. It has to be done gently. Rebuke is if you have if you get excited about rebuke, you're probably not a good candidate to rebuke anybody. I can't wait to chew them up. If you get excited about rebuke, it's dangerous because there is nothing great in telling somebody that they've rebelled against God. And some of you that God is challenging you today. You've been overlooking your friend's sin and, you know, those, especially I'm talking about those that have professed faith in the Lord. You've been overlooking it and overlooking it. And I believe that today God wants you to do something about it. What does he want you to do? He wants you to rebuke them in love gently and then pray that they would do the same for you. But it doesn't just say rebuke. He also says in verse number three, rebuke them. If he repents, watch this, forgive them. I would argue that even though re- rebuke is hard, it's easier than forgiving somebody that has done you wrong. Can, y'all, can somebody say amen? I want you to get on your mind for a second that one person that you know you're struggling forgiven. And you're struggling them for two reasons. It it was either the depth of the sin that they sinned against you. It hurt you. It was painful. Or it was the repetitive nature. Jesus deals with both. He says if they repent, it doesn't matter the depth. If they repent, forgive them. And then he deals with the repetitive nature. He says that they come to you seven times in the day. Other translations will say 77 times or seven times seven. Do you know the rabbinical law only required you to forgive three times? Jesus says, that's not enough. That, that's not enough. I, I want you to forgive an infinite way. And let me just say this, Amari. Forgiveness doesn't mean you got access again to me. Because I can forgive you. There are some people that you should walk away from, but you shouldn't withhold forgiveness. And here's why: forgiveness ain't for them. It's for you. Because you're walking around bound up and you're walking around bitter and you're walking around tight. And at the end of the day, God wants you to have liberty. This is why Galatians chapter five, verse one says, for Christ has set us free. Be free. One of the ways you walk in freedom is when you walk in forgiveness. And I know that at least 90 percent of this room, at least 90 percent of this room is struggling with unforgiveness. And most of us, it's a family member. It's a close friend. And that close friend has hurt you so bad that you have withheld forgiveness now again I'm not saying that they have to be over your house eating they might lose access forever because you might not want them to hurt you again so part of the guarding of your heart is you don't have that access but you still got my forgiveness and here's why because not being forgiven is not looking like Christ because Jesus stood on a cross And even standing on the cross, the people that nailed him to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. So forgiveness helps me with Christ likeness. And I I know I'm talking to somebody. I'm off topic here, but I know I'm talking to somebody in this room that is deeply struggling with forgiveness. And again, it it is it's the depth of that sin. I know it hurt and I don't want to minimize your hurt. I don't want to minimize your pain, but I do want to highlight The core of the gospel is forgiveness. Let me help you. We're guilty. Like do you understand that before a holy God, you and I are guilty, deserving of death, deserving of punishment. But you've been forgiven. How can somebody that has been forgiven for much not forgive others? I feel somebody right now and forgiveness is leaving this room. I feel that somebody right now, they, they've been struggling with that one person, that those two people, that group of people that, that, that conspired against you, that hurt you. I know it hurt and you're struggling with it, but God today says, if he repents, he says, forgive him. Do y'all notice the weight of sin in this passage? That sin is inevitable. Literally says temptations, temptations are sure to come. And then he said, wait, But be careful because I don't want you to be the person in which the sin comes. But then he says, oh, oh, wait, 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 but not only are you going to fall into sin, those around you might fall into sin. So rebuke. But not only do I want you to rebuke, if that person does repent, I need you to forgive them. Today, I I want to end our service and I know it's tight in here, but I want to end our service by praying for two groups of people. And here's what I know. You're in this room. The first person is the person that's been caught up in that cycle of sin and you know nobody knows you've been hiding it, you've been getting away with it because you've done church long enough that you know to put your church face on I've I've done it I know know what it's like and so you've done it long enough that you put your church face on and you know you fool everybody else and honestly you got us all fooled got us bamboozled but you don't got Jesus fooled and so I'm talking to that person that's living that double life here's what God wants he wants the two of you to become one today. He wants the church you to actually override that nature of flesh. You got away with it, but you never get away with sin for long. It always creeps up and bites you. That's the first group I'm going to pray for is the person that's dealing with sin. It's a cycle of sin. You know, maybe a secret. Maybe it's not secret. You just want to overcome. I'm going to pray for you today. And the second group that I want to pray for is that group that's struggling with unforgiveness. And here's why I said in the beginning, right before I started to talk about who I I want to pray for, that I know you're in the room because God showed me it this morning. I got up at 515 and I've been praying for you because I know you're struggling with unforgiveness. And let me just be honest. I'm on the altar today, too, because there are some people. See, let me just tell you about my disposition. Worship team, y'all come on up. I'm just the type of person. I don't like mess. So when you do me wrong, I'm just I hear emails like that. Like, am I the only one? Lord, help me. I'm just like, you know what? I can do without it. It's not healthy because when I say I can do without it, I'm not just saying that person. I'm saying I'm withholding forgiveness. And today, God wants you to do business with him. So two types of people, and I just want us to come down to this altar. I believe that you're here. Thank you for coming already. The person that knows that you're living a double life or you know that you're in sin, come on down. The person that's struggling with forgiveness and people have hurt you and have pained you, come on down to this altar so we can pray and get it right today. Oh, y'all should be clapping. People are coming to the altar to get their issues taken care of. Thank you, Jesus. I know it's somebody else, somebody, it's somebody else that, that's serving. And you, the reason you got us fooled is because you're serving. You were able to get around that thing, you know, as long as I, you know, I just got assured they won't, they won't know. Listen, we all broken. We, we all trying to get it right. We all trying to look more like Jesus. All of us. None of us have all, none of us are, are Jesus co-assistant. None of us are chilling. Everybody in this room is kneeling before the Lord saying, Lord, if I ain't before you, I'm a fall. Everybody in this room has at that moment where they have not forgiven somebody. And God wants to do something today. And I'm holding it because I know that there's more. Can I give you a second to get down here? Can I give you a second to get down here? God wants to get it right today. Father, I thank you for each and every person that's on this altar. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that they're responding to you today. Knowing that we have people have hurt us and and done us wrong and messed over us. And as a result, oh, God, we have grown in bitterness and and we've been we got tired. And so therefore we wrote them off. Lord, you don't want us to be like that. You said twice in your text today. If they repent, forgive them. And so, Father, would you help us to navigate that situation well? I believe somebody on this altar needs, needs to bring a mediator in that situation. Do whatever it is, Lord, that you got to do and reveal to us so that we can get restoration. Because at the core of your heart is restoration and forgiveness. So, Lord, that first group I want to pray for is the young lady and young man that is walking in bitterness because they have not forgiven somebody. Lord, help us not minimize that, that pain today. It's a, it's a close friend. It's a family member. So, Lord, I pray, oh God, that you would do that work in them. I also pray, oh God, for the one that's in that secret sin. And I know it's not just the people that are on this altar, but, Lord, it's somebody that's in their seat or somebody online today. That we've kind of gone through life and we've made sin to be functional dysfunction. It's functional. It's a part of my life. It's part of who I am. But, Lord, there is nothing more dangerous than us playing with sin. Why? Because you don't play with it you're serious about our sin and so father help us to be serious the reason we're on this altar today is because we're saying God we want to get it right we want to be loving we want to be we, we want to love you we don't want to love the world we don't want to obey our flesh we don't want to submit to the devil but today we want to submit to Christ so father do the work in us I pray redemption on this altar I pray forgiveness on this altar I pray an overcoming on this altar Pray a deliverance on this altar may we look back oh god and hate the thing we used to love and lord that you know how to do that you know how to take the taste and the desire right out of our mouth so father i pray oh god that you would do it and i look forward oh god to the testimonies that are going to come from this altar i look forward to the men and women oh god that are going to be obedient to you and because of that people will get saved and people will get helped and relationships will thrive and we'll walk through open doors and not have conviction because we're walking through open doors that you open with a bunch of sin on us. But we're walking through with liberty and freedom. It's in Jesus' mighty name we give glory. Amen.